0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Elevate Podcast. I have another great guest for you this episode. If you're tuning in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you have come to the right place. This episode, my guest is the founder and president of Growing Leaders, an Atlanta-based nonprofit organization created to develop emerging leaders since founding Growing Leaders in 2003. He has spoken to more than 300,000 students, faculty, and staff on hundreds of campuses across the country. He has also provided leadership training and resources for multiple athletic programs, including the University of Texas football team, the University of Miami football team, and the University of Alabama athletic department, as well as the Kansas City Royals. He has also written more than 25 books, including the best selling Habitudes Images That Form Leadership Habits and Attitudes and another one of my favorites, the IY generation. has also worked alongside internationally recognized leadership expert, Dr. John Maxwell, for the past 25 years, and according to John Maxwell, no one teaches leadership better than him. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Dr. Tim Elmore. I'm well. Great to have you on the podcast. Been excited to have a conversation with you. Love your work. Um, to start, what led your career to being an expert in millennials, IY, Gen Z? And maybe you yeah. can kind of
1: break down some of
0: those differences for our
1: listeners. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I began my career as a teacher. Uh, so I was with the next generation immediately, even when I was part of the next generation. Uh, But in 1983, about four years into my career, I started working with Dr. John C. Maxwell. So here's this leadership guru where I was on his writing team and event team and so forth. But my work with him started revealing to me there were differences in team members that were 18 and 32 and 45 and 58 and then 68. So I began to see that um, depending on the generation someone was in, And the life experiences they brought with them or did not have with them really, really made a difference in how they responded to a leader or to a coach. So, you know, you know this very well. Uh, A a head coach might be in his 50s or her 50s. Then they got an assistant coach is 28 years old and that could be their daughter or their son. So uh, right around the year 2000, I was really piqued in my interest to not only teach healthy, effective leadership, but to show how you might need to play chess, not checkers with your people. Um, that's one of our habitudes. Let me real quick, explain it to the listeners. Yeah, listen. yeah. So uh, we teach leadership with images. So this is an image of chess and checkers. The two games both have the very same game board. But after that, it's all different. The pieces are completely different. In checkers, all your pieces look alike, they move alike, you treat them all alike. Yeah. In chess, They're all different, you know, Rooks, Bishops, Queens, Pawns, Knights. So I just think average coaches play checkers with their people and they get average performance. Mm -hmm. Great leaders and coaches play chess and they find out who they are. So in one sense, it's about realizing Xers are different than millennials that are different than Gen Z. And that's what we want to do with, with people that we work with. Yeah. Love it.
0: Um, Your podcast growing leaders is one of my favorites. Um, Always feel like, my real-world observations and listening to, to the podcast have some these aha moments, like ah, it's yes. exactly what I've been seeing lately. Um, you have a great uh, way of putting words to some of those observations. Uh, is there an episode or topic recently from the podcast that's still kind of resonating with you?
1: Mm, good question. You know, two come to mind real quick. One is I've really been. Uh, it's captured my imagination, and we just did a recent podcast on it. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, and I'll try to give a one-minute one um, synopsis. Uh, these are two social psychologists, Dunning and Kruger, that in 1999 really uncovered something that I think <laughs> helps me as a leader when I work with young people. It, it basically says that there is an inverse relationship between confidence And how much, you know, like, have you ever noticed when you first learn something, you have an epiphany, it's like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool, you know, and, and you're way more confident than what you know, (laughs) because you think you've just discovered it. And then the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this effect is like a graph that says you shoot up when you first learn something, but then as you, if you'll let yourself dig and work and discipline yourself to really go deeper Humility sets in. It's not that you can't be confident, but you have a a humility that says, I realize I got a lot more to grow in there. So that was, we did one on that. The other one that I think might be lingering in my mind is one where I talk about learned helplessness and learned industriousness. This might be helpful for coaches. Yeah, yeah. So these are two pieces of psychological research. Back in 1967, uh, we began to hear the term learned helplessness. And it was experiments with young people, young athletes, young students. But what was discovered was when a student or a student athlete tries something and tries something and tries something, but they see no progress. Yeah. They just see no, you know, just I'm putting in effort, nothing's happening. They begin to learn helplessness. Mm. It's that proverbial lab rat that pulls the lever, pulls the lever. No food comes out and they go, doesn't work. Haven't we all heard student athletes go, doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I remember talking to a minor league baseball coach. Works with the Atlanta Braves. And he was showing him how to swing and hit a curveball. And after three swings, the player threw down the bat, said, this doesn't work. And the coach said, I said to him, three swings. It's going to take 3,000 swings, you know, to get that. <laughs> but haven't we all felt that way? Oh yeah. So learned helplessness is when we give up because we don't see any improvement. Learned industriousness is when a coach or a leader says, "I'm going to make sure they see a little bit of progress just to keep them in the game." Maybe I give them a drill that's just going to make them work, but yet they get to see a little progress on Thursday. Yeah. That makes a difference. And you both know in our lives We got to see something move. The new needle has to move. And so I'm really hot on this learned injustice and how leaders can help that happen. Uh,
0: I think there's some other, I can't remember where I came across to other research where you know, some of the greatest real motivation that we have is seeing that progress.
1: Yes. And when when there's an
0: absence of it, it it's exactly, just like you said, I I feel like, so I've had that situations, coaching, where maybe practice, right? We need to change things up and get the little progress from this side of the ball. Yeah,
1: that's right, absolutely. That's, and you intuitively knew that. Well, can I tell a quick story? Yes. So I'm talking about this topic with John Maxwell, who I work with for many years, and John's this incredible best-selling author in leadership, and uh, as I described this research, John goes, wow, that sounds like me and my brother Larry. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, when I was growing up, he said, after dinner at nighttime, he and I would go into the living room and we'd wrestle. You know, now Larry was the older brother. John's in middle school. Larry's in high school. So Larry wins every time because he's okay. bigger, older, more experienced. So John's dad walks into living room one night and sees his two sons wrestling. And Larry pins him to the carpet immediately that night. And so Melvin, the dad, says, hey, Larry. Let me wrestle John tomorrow night. I want to wrestle my son. So John goes, oh my gosh, I lost to my brother. I'm really going to lose to my dad, you know. <laughs> but what, what his dad did was very wise. He understood, learned industriousness, And so they, you know, they got down in position and the, the match started. And John told me, you know, as an adult, he said, my dad made me work my butt off, but he let me pin him. After several minutes, I, you know, I was exu- he let me pin him. He said, Tim, two things I noticed after that. One, I always had confidence because I, I could pin my dad. And number two, Larry never pinned me again. Ooh, yeah. Because I had, I had seen something happen. Progress. So coaches listening, can I just, I don't know what this looks like in your drills or your practices. But if they can just see something each week that you go, and you point it out and say, that was improvement. Something just goes on in our brain. I think. I think
0: experience, especially high school student athletes, recently they sometimes when we're in more normal times and you got to observe a bit more, they get so busy with the schoolwork and their athletics and their lives. Sometimes they don't even notice the progress that they've made.
1: Yeah, that's true. Too close to it.
0: And I remember just so many times I've told like, have you understood how far you've come in a, a month or? Yeah. And they kind of look at you silly and it's, you know, just point, find those points that you can show them that progress. So love, love, love that stuff. that's the
1: key, showing them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go
0: ahead. No, I think sometimes they, they don't even notice their own achievement because they're just on to the next thing or distracted. Why, I love the way you talk about emotional intelligence. Why do you find that at least in our culture, it seems to be under taught, and over-talked about?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Let me see if I can give you a a substantial (laughs) answer. I think a couple of things come to my mind. One is, I think we got ambushed by smartphones. Mm -hmm. I'm not against smartphones, but when we spend so much time on a screen, our EQ really doesn't grow, at least not yet. We've not figured out a way yet to Uh grow people skills, teamwork skills, you know, that sort of thing. So I think that as screen time has gone up and it has in all of our lives, um, our soft skills are, you know, just being a good teammate because I can read body language and I can read facial expressions and paraverbal and nonverbal communication, all that stuff. That's what makes me a good teammate. It's not just, you know, what you said, but how you said it. So I think it's, it's, we talk because it's a vogue term but I don't know that we really learned it. And what, the reason I underscore it for coaches and student athletes is I think learning emotional intelligence takes a good team and can make them a, a great team. I really, really believe that. Um, in fact, when I talk to kids in school, students, here's what I often say. This is an art, not a science by the way, but here's what I say. Yeah. Success in school is 75% IQ, 25% EQ. In the real world, it's just the opposite. 75% EQ. You know, I, I mean, of course you want to be smart, but what employers are asking for, can you work with people? Are you good with communication? Can yeah. you lead a team? You know, and our not coaches screaming for this? Yeah. So I, I am just a fan of let's find ways to build those soft skills inside the hearts of our athletes. So they're not only good at blocking, tackling, hitting and bunting or whatever, but they're also good at being a good teammate.
0: I think it came from your work, I think in one of your books, you posed that question kind of in the way of when people are hired and fired. Yeah. Um, you know, they they kind of can see what your IQ or what their needs are on the resume. It's the, really the yeah. EQ. And then it's usually when you're not an EQ fit that something's <laughs> got to happen within it's that true. team. Yeah. And so so true. Um, what's one thing coaches uh, educators can do to maybe, better understand their chess pieces that they're working with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well one helpful thought might be that we need to understand that both psychology and sociology are at work. So psychology, you know what that is. You and I have different personalities. We're individuals that have different coaches need to know I got chess pieces on this team and they're going to have different personalities. Some need an arm around their shoulder and some need to be yelled at. You know, that's just what they respond to. The other piece, though, is sociology, and that is the narrative, not of an individual, but of a group, a culture. So sociologically speaking, America is going through a narrative in 2020. This year sucks. I mean, you know, it's, hard. It's, it's a hard yeah. year. So um, it's just good for coaches to know there is a personality of a generation, and there's a personality in my individual team members. That's number one. The other thing I think it would be important to understand for a coach is the gen z kids the youngest population that we measure today are different than the millennials they really are Uh, millennials were probably confident and overconfident maybe you know whereas gen z might be just the opposite this has been such a hard year we might need to well let me give you an example to a millennial kid 15 years ago you might have needed to say hey wait a minute you're not going to be a team captain when you're sophomore it's not going to happen you know they're over-idealistic. Over yeah. To a Gen Z kid, you might need to say, hey, you can do this. Step up. I think it's in you. Uh, it's like confidence has morphed into caution. Mm. And uh, anticipation has morphed into anxiety. And who's to blame them? I mean, my gosh, you look at this year and they're going, have my dreams melted for what I see in the future? Yeah. You know, Will that scholarship I thought I was going to get go away? So um, I, I feel like coaches need to lead with empathy, maybe more than we typically do, just because of this really strange time we're in. Yeah, yeah I
0: think I think it pains my ears. I've probably said it out my own mouth a few times. As this, as you try to be empathetic with student athletes or kids going through this unusual yeah. time, it's just really hard to put words to it, I think, because I, and reflecting on myself as a teen, I'd be a mess. Um, (laughs) So, so, um, in the book, uh, IY generation, uh, I love this is just a a coaching lesson. Um, you talk about good training includes explanation, examples, experience, and evaluation. Can you talk about that process real quick?
1: Yeah. So I, if training were a recipe there are four ingredients that make it work, at least from the human standpoint. Um, the first one is explanation. So, I believe there needs to be a verbal explanation or description of what it is we want them to do. We need to find clear ways, maybe they're metaphors, maybe there are analogies, maybe it's just a pithy phrase. You know, we all have those, don't we? You know, bam, there it is. So, and in our case, we use imagery, you know, chess yeah. and checkers, rivers and floods, it's about focus. So I think we need to find a a way to verbally, even if we're not an eloquent communicator, find a way to verbally explain what we want them to understand. But I think just telling them doesn't do the trick. That's where the next piece comes in, which is examples. It can't be just tell and tell, it needs to be show and tell. So people do what people see. So you not only explain it, coach, and you say, okay, look out there in the field, look on the court there, see what he's doing? That's exactly what I want you to do. Suddenly it becomes more clear when I get to watch a model. So that's explanations. But then the next one is experiences. I think you would agree with me. And listeners, I think you would agree with me. I gotta get up off my butt and do it. I can't just hear a talk and circle a multiple choice test or even just see it. I have gotta do it. And learning happens best for most kids by just doing it. And that means it's messy because they're probably not gonna do it right the first time. But haven't we all heard in our past at some point, experience is the best teacher. I actually have an amendment to that. I don't know that experience is the best teacher because I've seen student athletes have a bad experience and draw the wrong conclusion. Mm. So I think experience plus evaluation. So you have a, you do a play and it works or it doesn't work, but it's the debriefing afterwards that really makes it redemptive, you know, and, and work. So those four words are just simple E words that remind me there's got to be four pieces of this before that kid's going to really get what we need her or him to get. I'm,
0: I'm big on pushing the evaluation. So yeah. I, my experience yeah. with student athletes is, and I was the same way, you know, who's, who's your toughest critic here? And, and a lot of the hands go up. And then I ask who wants to do a simple eight question assessment and it's no yeah. and i'm like no yeah. if you're the toughest critic there's some really good information you need to share with yourself <laughs> yeah. so yeah. it's um, true it's true getting them to realize that that the evaluation and is always an i think getting detaching judgment from evaluation
1: yeah you know you're you're exactly right. you hit on something great which t- reminds me it's probably good for me to get permission from that young student athlete even though you're the coach you're the authority I think it's good. Hey, do you mind if I, would you be open if I shared a a tip or a thought? And then you get them not just like you're nodding to me right now. You're (laughs) nodding because they're not going to say no, probably. And then you have permit. You said, well, you told me I could give you some insight. So I just think that kind of hard conversation deserves that. can I share another habitude with you? Please do. If we have a minute. Okay. So this is one of our brand new ones in the course, Habitudes for Life-Giving Leaders. It's called, you're going to love this one. It's called surgeons and vampires, surgeons and vampires. So think about these two characters. Okay. Surgeons and vampires both draw blood. Mm -hmm. You don't look forward to seeing either one of these guys. Okay. But here's the difference. A vampire usually sneaks up on you, bites you in the dark. You never recover. A surgeon also draws blood, but well-lit room, Everybody knows what's about to happen. Uh, He's gotten lots of training, getting ready for this moment. And then he surgically removes that cancerous tumor. He doesn't rip up your whole body. This is about feedback. I think a lot of times we're vampires, not surgeons. We're just ripping into that And we don't know if it's going to do any good. We're just mad. In fact, here's what I would say. We as coaches are going to give feedback out of relief or belief. Either I'm relieving myself of, frustration just yelling or it's belief because I believe you're capable of more than you just showed me, I want to I want to take that tumor out. We gotta be surgeons, not vampires.
0: I love that. That's uh I, I was far away from getting to medical school, but I still can be a better surgeon, I think, <laughs> yeah. in in my day-to-day life. <laughs> me too, um, me too. A lot of challenges in the foreseeable future, uh for the Gen Z and other generations and yeah. even us. What leadership challenges do you foresee, especially maybe in the educational student athlete kind of space over the next 12 to 24 months?
1: Mm, Gosh, where do you begin? Uh, Here's one thought that immediately comes to mind. I find myself saying this to educators and employers, as well as coaches. I believe we're all going to come out of this atrocious year, 2020, with a narrative. is either a really bad year or it was whatever the description is we have if we don't guide our young well, they're gonna have a negative narrative about this year. And why wouldn't they? Look, look around us, you know, protests, pandemics, panic attacks, polarization politically, all kinds of, yeah. all kinds of peas in there. So <laughs> I would say the number one job we as leaders have in the lives of this next generation is to help them with an accurate memory, but a positive narrative at the end of the year. Accurate memory, I remember all the good and the bad, but I've got a positive narrative. So let me just give one way you might do this. I think we ought to start with maybe taking some practice time or some teaching time and just make a pro and con list. Looking back on 2020, pro and con. The con list lets them know you see that some negative things did happen. You're, you have empathy. The pro side of that two columns is, but look at the silver lining. That might have never happened had we not gone through this. You know, isn't it true? Every time you go through something bad, you look back and go, actually, that would have never happened had I not had that horrible month or whatever. For sure. So I think pro and con list. And then secondly, I think we need to tell stories of people who've gone through past tragedies and maybe even pandemics and see what happened. Here's a cool thing Georgia Tech football posted a really cool photograph about, I don't know, two or three months ago. And it was people in the grandstands at a football game wearing masks. But it wasn't last month, it was 1918. Uh, Going through the Spanish influenza 100 years ago. But they posted just to say, we're gonna make it through, we're gonna attend football games again, hang in there. I love that, that was a way to say, don't give up. One last thing, coaches, teachers, I think we need to choose a metaphor to help help guide that narrative. So I was meeting with a a rising senior in high school recently and I did this very thing. He was having a hard year thinking about going into his senior year and maybe not going to get some of the rites of passages that seniors often get. Yeah. So um, we chose a metaphor. In fact, it's become one of our new habitudes. It's called candles or brush fires. Candles or brush fires. Both of these are flames, but here's the big difference. A candle can be put out with a small breath. You blow out those birthday candles, doesn't take much at all. A brush fire not only can withstand a small breath, it can withstand a strong wind. And it not only withstands a strong wind, it gets bigger with a strong Mm -hmm. wind. And I just said, we got to make a choice. We're going to be a candle and go out. We're going to be extinguished or extended by this fire called COVID-19. And I say... Maybe that's a metaphor we can carry. Well, here's the cool thing. That senior just texted me and said, Dr. Tim, I'm a brush fire shearer, not a can. He got it. He got it. And he's still using that metaphor in his brain to guide his narrative.
0: Well, we I'm here in Colorado, so we try to try to keep our candles under control. <laughs> yeah, that's <right>. but, uh, <laughs> I do. I do love that analogy, but it's, it's so true. Just, just seeing how how hard you fight to extinguish this, but uh, um, you've shared an amazing amount of magic uh, already, but if I was to hand you a magic wand and you could grant one thing upon the young generation Z, what would you wave with that wand?
1: Um, I would wave. Can I wave two things? (laughs)
0: You get two, you get two.
1: Okay, I get two. I'm a special guest here. Um, it's two words, resilience and resourcefulness. I just believe those two items are the meta competencies they're going to need. One, resilience, because you and I both know without grit, we're just not going to make it in anything we attempt to do, sports or otherwise. Yep. So we got to be able to bounce back, bounce back, bounce back, because we're going to fail at some point. Resource, resourcefulness is huge because I think as they live their life, their job is going to change. In fact, they're probably going to get a job that may not even exist right now in 10 years. So can they be resourceful to look up and learn and relearn and unlearn what they're going to need to do to succeed over and over and over again? Those would be the two magic wands I would love to see Gen Z just get. And coaches and educators listening if we could work on those two, like a weight room, like, like strength and conditioning, resourcefulness and resilience, those would be, oh my gosh, lifetime, uh, gifts that we would give them. And we'd be getting thank you notes when they're 35 saying, thanks for doing (laughs) that for me way back when I was a teenager.
0: Uh, I love it. Uh, last question. In all your time in your career, you've done a lot of great things and, you know, starting with John Maxwell and to today and all the things you've done globally with growing leaders. What are key characteristics that define great leadership?
1: Wow. <laughs> you got an hour. Okay. I, I, the good news is I think I can give you four definitely love
0: to three. have you back on another episode. There you go. There you go. We'll do part
1: two of this. Just because we have about a minute, I'll, I'll share four words that I go back to in my mind as I continue to grow as a leader. And then as I try to develop emerging leaders on teams. So these four words are character, perspective, courage, and favor. So here's why those four are key. Um, character's key because really it's about self-leadership. I think before I try to lead anybody else, I better lead me really well. Yeah. So that's, that's that. Perspective is key because for the first time, perspective helps me see something outside my own life So I've led myself well, but now I can see a better tomorrow for a team or a group. And I say, okay, I'm thinking, I think the number one thing that divides followers and leaders is the way they think. So perspective is number two, but with only perspective, I haven't done anything yet. That's where courage comes in. Now I got to get up off my butt and I need to do something about that perspective I have. So, you know, courage is a marker, but with only courage, I'm an entrepreneur, but not necessarily a leader. I haven't brought anything with me, I haven't brought any people with me. So, the favor piece I don't know if that's the best word, but favor means I know how to attract and leverage the gifts of other people on that team. Quarterbacks, great quarterbacks are great examples of this. Yeah, yeah. He's got that ball. He's handing off. He's throwing it downfield. He's doing a lateral option plate. He knows there's 10 other bits of talent around him, and he is leveraging every one of them. That's I think that's what we've got to build in every player, every position, yeah.